And how do y'all? I'm Leslie. And I'm Laurie. And welcome to Sumo, Sumo Kaboom. Kaboom, where we talk about all things Sumo. Yeah, welcome. And this week, we're taking you back into the world of retirement ceremonies, just because there's been so many lately, and it's made us come up with even more questions about what it is. It's history. Right. So you know Leslie's going to go down that road. Actually, no, but oh. yes, but a little bit, but not really. It, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than just finding the sumo history of hair cutting. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, it's a no. little different. Yeah. But I'll talk about other interesting things. And I am going to take you into the world of two artistic sumo fans that we have seen at retirement ceremonies, Tomotaka Akamoto and Demon Kaka. That's where I'm going. Right. <laughs> so we're going all over the place today. But yep. first, Newsflash. Nishonoseki Oyakata opened a very, very fancy new stable. Mm -hmm. It is beautiful. It looks quite like a, a temple, if you will. It's meant to look like, I think, the Gokugikan in some ways. But listen, it's got brand spanking new air conditioning. Hey. It's got a basketball court out back. Um, it's got a lot of single and double occupancy rooms and very tall ceilings. Two doyos. And a training room. It is very, very fancy, y'all. I saw some pictures of it, and um, it's quite an experience uh, looking at this thing. It's like, wow, this is the next generation that's coming in, and they've, they've got like a super posh type of training facility to live in and work in. So I'm expecting great things. Also, this week... It has been approved. Degeko has now resumed, and it was first reported that Takiyasu has been seen about town practicing at the Oitekaze stable. So he got in about 18 or so practice bouts, mostly with Daesho. But you see, Takiyasu, he, he spoke about the last tournament and how he just wasn't prepared. He doesn't have any Sekitori for him at his stable to really practice hard with. So coronavirus has affected his training schedule a lot. In the beginning, he had Kiseno Sato, mm -hmm. but you know, now he, he was just like, I got nobody to like practice with. If they don't have high ranked wrestlers, this is how they get the experience. So this was epic for him. And I'm sure many other wrestlers who in the past really have worked hard to go around to different stables and wrestle lots of different wrestlers to get that good high level training that they need for them to be able to stay at the top. So. so he's like a bee right now. Yeah, he's he's roaming around town. Buzzing around, visiting a flower here and a flower there. That's right. Well, great. I hope it helps him in his training. And lastly, the Cowboy Cup is happening here this weekend at FitCon. That is in Fort Worth. It is going to be 90 degrees, balmy, 90 and humid on Saturday. But please come on out. You're going to be able to see Laurie there. She's going to be commentating with Bruce from Tachi Eye Blog. And we're going to be seeing some local wrestlers and wrestlers come from all over to do some sumo and there's going to be awards and all kinds of fun stuff. If you're interested in it, you can go and look at the FitCon website, but you can also look at Dallas Sumo Club and find out information there. It's going to be quite an event, everyone. So keep an eye out for the live streaming. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that's going to happen. I imagine through the, the Dallas Sumo Club on Facebook or their YouTube. Um, so keep an eye out for that. But you will get to see 
Texas and their best sumo wrestlers out in the wild. So come on out. Yeah. And it's at a big outdoor area. So you can, you know, yeah, BYOB, the Trinity River will be right there. So if you want to get in for a dip, I suppose you could. You could. You could. (laughs) You really could. If you really want to swim in the (laughs) Trinity River right there, I'm not sure that you really do. But if you get hot enough, it it looks really good. Yeah. Yeah. It should be fun. And, uh, you know, if nothing else, just be hanging out with me and Bruce and a whole bunch of sweaty dudes. That's right. Good luck to all the wrestlers. And here's to an awesome event at FitCon. Let's talk a little bit about, as Konishki says, the Dampatsuki. Okay. That's what he calls it, the Dampatsuki. But it's a Danpatsu Shiki. You might see, um, you might see it in different ways, written or translated. D A M. You see sometimes. Anyway, it's D A N P A T S U. Well, and I, I've just noticed with Japanese spelling, S H I K I, mm-hmm. or even S U K I, and rather than saying like Suki, it'll say Ski. Yeah. Or not Shiki, it's Shiki. Yeah. Ski. Yeah. So you can't tell from how it's spelled. Right. How you say it. Right. But if you English readers are looking at it, it looks like Danpatsu Shiki. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what it is, is the tradition of cutting one's hair. And it is a popular recurring theme in Japanese culture and history. It essentially signifies the ending of a chapter of one person's life and the beginning of a new one. And today we're going to be talking about these events And in the sumo world, all that happens and featuring some of these performers. But um, it's it's interesting as I as I was researching this, I found that this ceremony presented itself in many different facets of Japanese culture. It presents itself in in anime movies a lot. Like, for instance, uh, Miyazaki's animated feature Princess Mononoke. If you saw that, he's like the last prince of this dying Imishi village. And Imishi is like an ancient ethnic group in Japan. He cuts off his hair, which is signifying the death of his social status as the last prince of this tiny village. And he is now journeying on without his princely status to um, venture out into the world to find a cure for this curse that he's been burdened with. So you see it in anime a lot. You also see it, like for instance, I watched a video um, in Maiko, like a geisha culture. So there's a Maiko who's been training for five years. When she becomes a geiko or a geisha, it depends on how they say it different places, but when she becomes a geiko, um, they have a haircutting ceremony as well. And it's a tearful event. So they bring in the girl and she has her big, beautiful hair. They take out all the hair pieces and they they brush it out and then they they clip locks of hair. They don't do all of it off, but... When she becomes a, a geisha? Ge- uh-huh. Yeah. Why would they cut her hair off when it's she signifying, becomes one? It's signifying a new chapter, a new beginning, right? It's not always a retirement. It's a retirement of the training of the Maiko, but she doesn't cut off all of her hair. But it's it's significant of this new movement onto something divorcing of the past. So Well, and really, honestly... It's like that in real life, too. You cut your hair off and you're a new you. Exactly. Yeah. So to many people, you know, they I, I was also watching like 
just random people having a haircutting ceremony. Yeah, like sports, <laughs> not not just haircuts, but like sport, like a professional sport, you know, sporting people. I don't know who they were, but like you do see it within the culture that like this haircutting thing is more than just a haircut. And it's even more than just a new chapter beginning. It's it's really steeped in history and culture. So anyway, it's a very meaningful action and its roots can be traced back to, of course, the Edo period and before. And see, today you see sumo wrestlers. They're the only ones really with these traditional hairstyles of the samurai. But as I did this research, there's like this 30 page paper I read by some random woman, but it was all about historical haircuts and the different styles. Each hairstyle, even if they had longer sideburns, would denote someone's um, status. And Ooh. if you, any sort of tiny thing in someone's hair could denote status, you so know? So, what does it mean that Chiyotairu has sideburns? Well, Historically, what would that have meant? I don't know. I didn't get that deep into the oh. paper. But like hair for the Japanese was huge. Like we've had different hairstyles. Hairstyles come and go. And like you have a Gibson girl or you have sideburns or you have a mullet, whatever. That's just a trend. But in Japanese culture, hair, especially in the Edo period, it signified so much more. Because you had hairstyles you were allowed to have, and as you got higher in status, you were allowed to have this little finesse or this or how long the hair was or if it went over your head or if the pate was shaved, if the pate was not shaved. All of those things could indicate someone's status. So by cutting your hair, it was just kind of saying like, whew, I am, I am really a new me. Not mm -hmm. just like, I feel renewed, like... I am now venturing into a life of being a priest or a peasant, or you could face ridicule uh, from people on the streets, you know, if you cut your hair. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just like, did you see that bald guy down the street? What happened to him? Crazy old man. You know, we no, we don't normally have that kind of reaction with haircuts. But back then, hair was such a huge thing. In fact, it was mandated. People had to have certain hairstyles. And when young students would perhaps travel abroad and they would go to the UK or they would go to the US, like in the 1860s, they traveled abroad, they left with their hairstyles. But then to avoid ridicule in the new country, they would cut off their hair because mm -hmm. people in America or the UK were like, uh, what's up with the funny hairstyle, right? Mm -hmm. And so before they would come back, they would try to grow their hair out again because you did not want to be caught with a Western hairstyle, especially when Japan was going through this phase of like pushing away Western civilization and Western influences. Mm -hmm. Once in Western influences came back into, you know, fruition in Japan, fashion, fashion, then they were like, no more of these old style haircuts. You have to cut your hair and, you know, we're doing a, it this way. But there's so much with hair. There's been a lot of mandating hair in yes. Japan is what I'm learning. You know what? Did you ever see that funny uh, picture of the North? Uh, this is North Korea. It has nothing to do with Japan. But North Korean hairstyles, the only hairstyles that are allowed. There's like this poster that you're like, no. these are the mandated hairstyles. That right as now? a North Korean, yes, you're like, these are your 15 options for men. These are your 15 options for women. That sounds like something that would circulate on Facebook. Uh you know, and you're like, is this really true? I don't know. Well, <laughs> it could be, but it is North friggin' Korea where everything is mandated. But anyway, 
I like to think sometimes too, the Japanese, they do sometimes with these traditional things, they do a lot of things that are like go big or go home. You know, like most people who retire are like, I'll have a retirement party. And they have retirement parties. After all of these sumo wrestlers get their hair cut, they have big parties that look like our retirement parties. Mm -hmm. But they make a big deal out of cutting one's hair. Mm -hmm. It is just a big thing. And, you know, even thinking about a gyoji and his his sword to commit seppuku, like to disembowel himself with, you know. They have like very big, bold statements. And so when I look at kind of this uh, sumo wrestling, you know, sumo wrestler haircutting ceremony, I think, yeah, it's just another like really epic, profound way of making a statement about I am moving on. This is huge. And that's just kind of different than our kind of laissez-faire kind of attitude in America that we have about things, you know? And I, and I love that. So the sumo wrestler, Danpatsuki, these are ceremonies that they uh, send off, you know, the wrestler into his new chapter with quite the fanfare. And these ceremonies, in which Larry's going to talk about performers, we've learned, Konishki told us about his a little bit, but... They sell as many tickets as possible. They have merch. They have sponsors because they got to make money. Now, the high rollers in these locations, like the high rollers, the big big sponsors sit down close to the ring, you know. But the only people who can have their ceremony in the Koko Gikan are the Makauchi wrestlers who have been in Makauchi over 30 tournaments. Mm -hmm. But they're still renting the space. It's not like they get it for free. Okay. So all of the big fanfare and all of the performances are meant to garner attention, money, butts, and seats. And so these ceremonies are such a big deal because they got to sell big and they got to give us the goods. Well, yeah, it's a lot of seats to fill. Exactly. They put on expensive. Yeah, they put on quite a show. And they have lots of people that are spreading the word on Facebook and elsewhere. They'd be like, come buy tickets to Amanishki's retirement ceremony. Like, hi, like people close to the wrestler Mm -hmm. all over the internet or all over just being like, here's tickets to the event, you know, because they've got to sell money in it or sell seats. That sends them off into their next chapter if they if they perhaps want to have a stable they've got to make money they've they've got to have a lot of money to rent out the space but also money for the future you so know? this is something that you and i could go to yes if we were somehow in japan yes we had some extra cash and we were like oh this would be interesting we could get a ticket yep. and go see these so anyone listening could go yeah yeah absolutely i mean a lot of these things they have they start and finish or with taiko drumming Um, with the best taiko drummers. They have exhibition matches with all of the high-up wrestlers. You know, if you're going to see somebody's retirement ceremony like Amanishiki, you're going to see a Yokozuna. Now, they're all donating their time. They're all showing up because, well, one day they'll have one, Mm -hmm. but they have to represent the JSA. But they're, they're showing up on their own time and they do these exhibition matches to give the crowd a sense of what sumo is about. Perhaps if there are foreigners there or whoever, they're like, let's mm-hmm. just give them a show. Yeah. Now, all of these exhibition matches between the high rankers, like we saw Ted and Fuji mm-hmm. lift up Mitakiyumi, they are clearly staged. 
They are not. Yeah, it's a little like WWE. Yeah. And and it's for their own protection because they don't want to get injured. They don't yeah. really want to fight and like get injured at somebody's retirement ceremony. So yeah. it's all planned out for big fanfare and show. Yeah. And like Tara Fuji take on taking on five wrestlers. Right. You know? You're like, he would never do that. But it's hilarious that they're like, eh, let's give him something. Big. I think it's awesome. I I it's loved that moment it's where it was so perfectly choreographed between yeah. those five wrestlers taking him on. I yeah. l- I really appreciated the yeah. effort and the planning that went into that. Well, and and similar to the tours, you know, it's meant to give the audiences the biggest bang for their buck. Yeah, you know, they've got all kinds of like I said, merchandise. They've got little bento boxes that you know are special for this event. And to give the spectator just ultra sumo experience. Yeah, sumo love. They they show them the doyo iri. All the all the wrestlers come in. They do yeah. a demonstration of how to do a current wrestler's hair. They literally have a demonstration. You might see uh, the man who's retiring. Like I watched Kyoku Tinho wrestle like eight small three-year-old children. And it's adorable <laughs> and hilarious. They have um, sometimes matches with their own kids. They have the shokiri, which is the sumo, the comedic sumo uh, little match where they show you all the things you're not supposed to do. But it's a comedy mm-hmm. thing. They do jinku singing, which is the folk the folk singing that's unique to sumo wrestlers. Mm-hmm. And we saw who was it Toyonoshima's brother or was it Amanishki's brother? One of the one of the guys has a brother. Amanishki's brother did the jinku singing for him. And it's special singing that's written specifically for the wrestler that's retiring. You might have a retiree versus like, or the retiree versus a rival just one last time, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we saw Toya Noshima fight Kota Shogiku. And of course he won because it's his retirement <laughs> of ceremony. Course, of course, Right? Yeah. And then of course... We have the Yokozuna belt tying demonstration and the Yokozuna doyo iri. I mean, it is just give it, give it all to the audience. Yeah. It's not like in America when someone retires, they might get a plaque and a clock or maybe a watch and they, you know, sit in a business room with all of the people that they've worked with for 50 years even. And they share some cake and some ice cream. (laughs) And then they're like, see you later. Have a great retirement. Right. That's it. Right. But this, this is truly an event. It really is. And, you know, the wrestler eventually gets his hair cut by 350 to 400 people mm-hmm. chopping up a little tiny bit of their hair, finishing off with the wrestler's oyakata. And the that's t- usually when the tears start to Yeah, flow. the tears flow. Because they're sitting on that stage yeah. for a long time and yeah. person after person is coming up and saying, good job. Yeah, my butt would well get done. sore. You know, some wrestlers in, in the past have, uh, I think it was Wakanahana or Takanahana. I can't forget. One of the brothers. He only had 50 people cut his hair. He was like, I am not going to sit here for this long. But most of them, because they need the money and each one of those people cutting their hair is typically a sponsor, a paying sponsor, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll let 350 or 400 people cut their hair and have the experience because that's how they make their money. You know, Mm -hmm. all of that finishes out with the Oyakata cutting off the full uh, Mage off of his head and showing it to the crowd they bow and then and the Mage is the ginkgo leaf you know mm-hmm. here Oicho Mage and um, and he bows and then he goes backstage and gets a real hair 
cutting by a real barber and there's tons of cameras that are all around. And all the while, while he's getting all cleaned up and getting his hair all spiffy, that's when some of these other fun matches and performances happen. And it's meant to completely keep the crowd engaged. Musashimaru had hula dancers and... One of my favorites that you also that you see is Demon Kaka, mm-hmm. uh, who is a big sumo. I'll let you chat about him. But you see all kinds of personalities mm-hmm. and performances. And I think Konishki said he had hula dancers too, I think. Mm-hmm. So it can all be specially curated for the wrestler, their interests. And it's kind of like however he wants to kind of do it, mm-hmm. you know, if he wants to plan it. So Ooh, so maybe... When Hokuto Fuji retires, we'll get somebody singing the Lion King, like the whole opening song. Wouldn't Maybe, that be amazing? That would be amazing. <laughs> I mean, you know, when Ikioi does his, I fully expect that to be like a choir. I feel, yeah. I fully expect there to be lots of music because. Oh, well, and we heard Ikioi sing yeah. this week yes. in retirement ceremony. Yes, I mean, I don't know how anyone's going to compare to his voice singing for him, but. We fully expect that to be a very musical event, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So these events are pretty cool. I've enjoyed looking at all of them. Um, and I feel like one day when I retire, I want to have that, kind of, have that <laughs> kind of send off. You know? Absolutely. It'd be awesome. Do you want hula dancers at yours? No, because I don't really have any Hawaiian you know, tie-ins yeah. to my you life. You want some I would, uh, like, Cotton some, Eye Joe? Uh, a little Texan? It would make perfect <laughs> sense. dancing? Be, well, it would be circle dancing because I would have to have a doyo mm-hmm. because that's part of my life. I'd have to have a little bit of sumo wrestling. I'd have to have a dance number, perhaps from my favorite musical. Okay. All in a doyo. Yep. Um, with uh, Anybody can be in the doyo. Girls, guys, anybody. Okay, yes. Anybody. Um, yeah, maybe uh, like a nice buffet as oh, well okay nice it could be like uh these mega churches do at the holidays and you could like bring in jesus and a donkey and like palm leaves and things like that oh well it could yeah. be that sort of thing oh like uh flying angels yeah well well that's not really big part of my life <laughs> but that is how the mega churches around here that do is it. how they do it uh, bring in a donkey down the aisle i would say just because i like animals maybe a longhorn to okay. just show off to be like this is the animal of my home state. Okay, big longhorn. A big longhorn. Right. Uh, yeah. Basically, I yeah. Somebody Lots of singing and dancing. Blue bonnets. Yeah. And, um. Yeah. 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 I could see that. Yeah. I'd go. I'd pay. I'd pay. You'd pay for that. Yeah. Oh, and a dance party. And because I love party. to dance. Okay. It would be a dance party. Nice. Sounds like a great party. Thanks. All right. I'm taking you into the world of two sumo fans. Or let's say artists who love sumo and who we've seen at retirement ceremonies as of late. And this week's deep dive comes from a comment I made last week about a mysterious androgynous singer in somebody's retirement you ceremony. You thought it was a woman. I really thought it was a I woman. I looked at it and I was like, nope. That's I, it, very a androgynous. Very, <laughs> very androgynous. Uh, but what was great is you listeners knew exactly who I was talking about and who it was and and you set me straight. And so I thought, okay, uh, maybe I'm not the only idiot out here who didn't know who this person was or anything about them. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about who was singing at Toyonoshima's retirement party. He 
was all in gorgeous white with this really beautiful gray sash over his shoulder. Um, and he must have been wearing some lifts because he was very, very tall, much taller than Toya Noshima in the pictures. Well, Toya Noshima is teensy. He's a very little guy. Well, he looked very small right next to this small. man. Yeah. Um, he looks a bit, honestly, I think he looks a little bit like Daesho. He looks like a sumo wrestler. He's a he's a big man. He has a with a wide face. With, he's got a big. He's face. got the neck of a sumo wrestler. Yeah, he does. He really and maybe there's some crossover between opera and sumo that I'm just mm. beginning to learn about. Mm. Uh, because he does, he has that sort of sumo shape, mm -hmm. but he has tan Francis hair because mm -hmm. it's gray and it sticks straight up off mm -hmm. the top of his head. Mm -hmm. And he he really prefers wearing these very Liberace esque outfits. As you I've could call into it a. Caftan. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's a caftan. It's a very dramatic. Which I am this dr dramatic. That was caftan. the number one thing I embraced in the in the lockdown was my wearing of caftans. <laughs> I fully embrace a caftan. So who is this man? His name is Tomotaka Akamoto, which is really fun to say. Tomotaka Akamoto. It rolls off the tongue it in catchy. a really, really beautiful way. And I had never seen, I had never seen a man singing soprano in such a bold, dramatic fashion. There is something in the opera world called a sopranista. And that is what he is. And it is a man who sings soprano type roles. Yeah. So, There's another role. There's another name for it. But that must be the you're, Italian version. You're thinking of castrati. No, uh-uh, no, uh-uh. I know what a castrati is, but no. So when when they used to castrate men in order to have them sing higher yeah, roles, this is thank goodness that's opera history. Yeah, fallen out of fashion. Did you know that? Yes. <laughs> so when they stopped castrating men to sing those high roles, they were like, "What are we going to do with all this music?" From Handel. <laughs> I mean, we certainly can't let a, let a lady sing it. Well, I'm sure they've Heaven probably forbid. done some of that. But what developed after that is this whole group of men that started singing those high roles, uh, but without cutting off their private parts to be able to do it. And this man is a very, very famous, one of the top 10 sopranistas yeah. in the world. I studied voice as mm -hmm. well, and there were people performing that, um, you know, in the opera world that, you know, you can listen to everybody's individual voices, and everybody has a natural, like, range in which they sing. And some men have a glorious high register, and so why would they not? You know, it's just that socially, a lot of people don't ex accept that. But the truth is there's a lot of men who have beautiful falsetto, beautiful upper register, powerful and can and could rival a woman's upper reg like a woman's voice. Well, what I've and learned it was written originally for a man. What I've learned is a man singing falsetto is different than yeah. a sopranista. Right. So a man as his you know, larynx develops, right. you know, develop that upper register by flipping into a head voice. Right. But a sopranista, like a true sopranista, like this man is, has, and he puts it even on his website, that he is a very rare natural male soprano singer. Yeah. So he doesn't 
he doesn't have the head range, the head voice that a man would normally have. He sings has. in his mix, He probably. has this very, <laughs> very beautiful, dramatic register. soprano. Yeah. And it's gorgeous. I mean, listen to this. Go to his website and you can watch so many videos of him singing. My favorite features him standing on a bridge in a blue caftan while this drone is flying around him and he's singing this high opera and there's all these dramatic mountains around him. He's singing for all he's worth. It is so good. It's so, so dramatic. You have to love it. Does he love sumo is the question. He does. Or does he just like an audience where well, he can get it? Probably both. Probably <laughs> both. But let me tell you a little bit more about him, okay? He was born in 1976, graduated from the National College of Music in Japan, and then also studied in Paris, France, and sang all over the world, mostly opera. In 2002, he returned to Japan. Meaning like he had like an R&B album? No, opera. <laughs> I know. Opera. But he's saying mostly opera, implying, did he have like a rap album? Like well, what were the other albums he had? He sang folk songs. <laughs> okay. He sang uh, religious music. Okay. Uh, I don't imagine he had a rap album or a country <laughs> album. Perhaps it's like way back in the catalog and I just didn't happen upon it. Yeah, because but- I'd pay for that. <laughs> But in 2002, he returned to Japan and started to appear on television, mm-hmm. uh, something called Hello from Studio Park. And I don't, I don't know yeah. exactly what that is, but maybe someone who lives in Japan knows that. In 2003, he made his first album. He started performing, oh gosh, with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra in mm-hmm. London, England. He uh, is very famous for singing the theme song of Bolero. Uh, and then he started appearing more in opera da, concerts. Da, 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 da. Yes. I had no idea there were words to that. Yes, there are. And he's very famous for them. He started appearing in operas in Seoul, in Malaysia. He was part of a musical review of Chicago and The Wiz in New York City. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I know. He's traveled all over. That I need to know about. And then in 2007, he started. He in The Wiz? I don't know, but I can absolutely see him somewhere in The Wiz. He belongs in that For world. sure. Yeah. I love it. So he started singing the national anthems in 2007 at World Figure Skating Championships, and that has just grown considerably. People started realizing he could really sing just sing that thing so well and so he's been at the olympics singing the uh, japan national anthem j league championships the japan derby endurance races basically he is the man you go to if you want somebody to sing the shit out of the national anthem yeah and he has made a career of that he has uh 16 albums on his website and that 80s soft uh ballad yes album. that that i just have not found i just yet. haven't found it yet <laughs> but he is he is truly he does, like peaches and herb covers right right he is truly a standout in the classical world and i would say he's probably a standout in the world of i don't know gay icons he's definitely a standout in the world of sumo 
Uh, he's tremendous. He is tremendous. He's, it says on his website that he does crossover songs, Japanese songs. He does do some pop music. Amazing. Operas, religious songs. He loves to perform for children all over Japan. So he travels a lot to schools and does that. And he's also co-stars in something called Devil Forest Concert with His Excellency, Demon. Kaka. Yes. But he loves caftans, and that's all that matters, because yes. he rocks a frigging caftan. He really does. And he loves the caftans. And, spectacular. And he loves hanging out with Demon Kaka, who is another person that really seems to love sumo. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Demon Kaka has his own, like, show and stuff. Yes. Or, okay, so. He's a real sumo expert. We have talked about Demon Kaka in the past. I'll just give you, you know, a quick down and dirty. You but, know when you've seen him. Yes. You know exactly when you've seen him. <laughs> But I will say that you can see snippets of the show that these two do together, that Devil Forest concert. Mm -hmm. I found clips of it on YouTube, and I will put it in our show notes. And it's this really wonderful collection of classical music and heavy metal music and clowning and storytelling that's done on stage with a whole bunch of green gobos. So it looks like they're in the forest. Absolutely worth a watch if you... If you are a lover of international art, I would say you would love it. Yeah, the Japanese, really they embrace, like, their entertainment on TV. You just never know what you're going to get. Yeah. But it's they embrace kind of the wild and wacky far better than anybody else does. And, and it's not even accepted as wild or wacky. It's just accepted as, like... This is part of us. There's a celebration of it. So I even when I was watching television there, I was like, I would never see anything this diverse and this fun back home. And so uh, I loved I loved all the programming I would see. Demon Kaka has been around since the 80s, really. And you say, you know, when you've seen him, how would you describe Demon Kaka? Well, he's got... A lot of pancake makeup on. Yeah, it's white and gray. It, yeah. It's very transformer-esque. Yeah, it's very chiseled. It's very stage makeup. It's not even like heavy everyday makeup. It is it is very kabuki character. Yeah. Yeah. With chiseled cheekbone kind of and sharp nose. Very sharp, angular yeah. makeup of grays and whites. He's got like a wacky crown on and it's meant it's like it's like an anime character. It's yeah. like uh, wild and wacky. It's not anything human. It's yeah. definitely a full costume. Yeah, he's either wearing a crown or his hair sticks is up, yeah. sticks up really tall, like a crown, and he's wearing clothes that look a little emperor emperor esque. Yeah, and I've yeah. seen him talking on. I think it's the J show, whatever it is, where the sumo wrestlers go on and they interview him. Yeah, and you're like, all these sumo wrestlers, and they're being interviewed, and he's always there. He's always in his makeup. Yeah, we don't oh, yeah. know what he looks like without his makeup. And actually, we don't know what his real name is. Yeah, I don't he even is, think I want to know. He is Demon Kaka. He, he is Demon Kaka. Yeah, and he has been that way since he's been a demon. Demon was born in New York City, believe what? it or not. Yes, but he moved to Tokyo in second grade. He has a degree in social science. And he has loved sumo since he was a kid. He's been a member of sumo clubs, of folk song clubs. So he's been a singer and a sumo lover his entire life. And he formed or was part of a heavy metal rock band 
in college with some of his friends and they put out a heavy metal record in 1982 that went on to just become a classic. He, that band went on to release 12 studio albums and sell over 10 million records. And then he became a solo artist in 1990 and he released a whole bunch of, of albums like Girls Rock, Girls Rock Hakurai, the girls rock tiara. He's into girls. Girls I guess. rock best. Yeah, there's a, a little bit of a theme there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's really into heavy metal. He's really into singing. And then as time went along, he started to experiment more with theater companies and opera stars, uh-huh. like our friend that we've discussed, and start to put, you know, shows together. He has a radio show and he dedicates part of it every time to sumo he interviews active rikishi and many of them are actual friends with demon it seems well, he's, like demon he's around a lot i mean he's interviewing people i mean he definitely is in the sumo world such an enthusiast that how he would is. you not know him because he's always involved yeah he wrote a column for a sumo magazine called van van sumo club for 13 years he was a regular guest commentator on the j sports tv show like you said earlier for five years he was banned from the koku Gikan in costume in the beginning because the jsa thought that he would be a distraction ah uh. and he honored that ban that we know of maybe he went without the makeup yeah, maybe he goes normal all the time every day. He's just looks like an average 60-year-old guy or 50-year-old right. guy. I don't know. We would have no idea. So he complied with the ban as far as we know until the JSA then contacted him and asked him if he would be a guest on the live in-house radio broadcast of sumo tournaments and asked him to come in costume. And so then he said, of course, I will absolutely be there. And the next year he became a guest commentator for the NHK's television broadcast of the January 2006 sumo tournament. He just did one, too. With- he, he's there all the time. Yeah. Yeah. He's often there. But he doesn't only do that. He doesn't only sing. He doesn't only commentate sumo, write about sumo. Does he like sell knives or no, or what else does no, he do? No, he's a voice actor. He is the actor of one of the characters in the anime a- adaption of Hinomaru Sumo. Oh, wow. So he's one of those characters. Um, he also... This is so interesting to me. He was selected to educate the public and bring awareness to the harm of illegal radio waves by the Ministry of Internal Affairs and Communications. And I didn't know radio waves were harmful. I guess they are. All right. Some of them. And also he has spoken publicly on the problem of ticket scalping. Well, that is a problem. Yep. Yep. He is an ambassador for good medical care. Well, he just sounds like an all-around good guy. He is. He does so many different things, but he is definitely one of the people you will see in the sumo world. He's the number one sumo fan. He, he People seem to really love him. And he's gone from being a singer to an ambassador, a voice actor. I mean, when I read about him, I thought, that's the life. That really is the life that I'm going for. A little bit of theater, a little bit of voiceover, a little bit of sumo. You do it all and you love your life and you you begin to become a public figure down the road as you get yeah. older and people look up to you. I mean, yeah. how? what a great life. I think I saw a picture of him in a gold head, like head to toe gold suit. Yeah. But he didn't have 
his makeup on. He looked like a total character. Maybe he had sunglasses on because he I've does, never seen does him does without the makeup. Never. Yeah, he cuts. He's cut a number of wrestlers' hair. He's been one of the sponsors of people that has gone up, or he's been asked to cut their hair. Right, but he usually wears the costume, doesn't he? I saw gold head to toe. Now it could have been somebody else, but it looked like him just without the makeup. But like you couldn't quite tell because he still, I think, had like a gold hat on or glasses. But also, I could be making it up, which I'm. <laughs> Known to do. I don't know. I just find it, I find not only the sumo fascinating, but all of the details that surround the sumo are just as interesting to me. And this is one little piece of the curious puzzle that makes sumo so fascinating from across the world. These international artists who are so unfamiliar to, you know, a Texan gal like me who's never seen anything like it, but who are an integral part of these ceremonies just make the sumo world way, way more exciting to me. Yeah. Yeah. I can now be fans of these international artists as well as fans of these sumo wrestlers. Yeah. So hopefully in the future, we will bring you more artists who are just as inspired by yeah, but sumo. Like, but it'll still be sumo. Y'all come to us for sumo. So we're here for sumo. Yeah. But yeah. Obviously. But sometimes we like to highlight people in the sumo world. And uh, so you'll have a little bit of a clue of what that's all about. So that's it for this week. See y'all next week. Bye. Bye. Jamata. Mm-hmm.